Hi, this is Frank Menzer. Whether you play Moldvay or My Edition or any other basic D&D, tune in next for Save or Die Basic D&D. Howdy do, everybody. It's DM Mike here with Save or Die number 125. <laughs> Take two. Take two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we lost the first recording. Anyway, I'm here with my max damage on critical hits, and I am joined by DM Liz, who gives double damage for critical hits. Hello, hello. <laughs> and also is the guy who not only does mega damage, but ends up killing the monster's ancestors three generations back, DM Jim. <laughs> Remember when Shaver Die released new episodes all the time? Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> ah, I'm sorry. Good to be back. I think hot Quaker Oats. Anyway. <laughs> so. This episode, we're going to be joined a little later by Tom Tullis of Fat Dragon Games, where he is going to tell us about all the cool stuff that Fat Dragon's been doing for Paper Terrain, 3D Terrain, and specifically some things for classic D&D players. But first... Get down, get down, get down, get down. The Save or Die. Hot tub time machine. Come here, scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh man! Insert email bumper here. Do we have any emails, Liz? Yes. Oddly enough, we do. You know, one time we really ought to do that, and then you had absolutely none, and we just go on with the rest of the show. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while I'll say no, and then we do actually. Yeah, but nobody believes you now. So Yeah, no one believes me now. So <laughs> one day we should just say no and then go on. Yeah. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> That'll learn them. Yeah. <laughs> no emails. Bye-bye. All I think right. some people would be happy, but you, know. <laughs> yeah. you got to talk to our fans. It's true. They deserve it. All righty. Well, we have a few emails. And our first email is from Keith Haddad, Keith. who writes, Keith. I remember one of you saying in old computer RPGs, you only got one character and they didn't want you to have to restart too often. I think old school computer RPGs were mostly party-based adventures. 
more than now with its World of Warcraft model. I think God stats are a good idea, but so is the idea of making avatars based off their stats. Options are always good. Never know when PCs will encounter a god. Keith. Thanks, Keith. And as far as the first point, when I was making that reference, I was thinking of games like Zork or Early Ultima, Pyramid, those sort of games where you literally were just playing one character, um, especially the, the text ones. The first person yeah. type text games? Yeah, a lot of those. The ones that came on Kashich. <laughs> you loaded for half an hour while you're waiting before, so you could play your game. Cassettes. Wow, you are old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as for gods, well, you know, options are always good. Um, I've always kind of, I've been a bit torn recently about gods, you know, fighting PCs in, D- in classic D&D. Because, I mean, I, my gut tells me gods shouldn't have hit points and... Any PC that seriously tried to fight a god would get whacked no matter what. On the other hand, it's kind of unarguable that some pulp stories had, quote-unquote, protagonists fighting gods, didn't they? I mean, uh, uh, eventually, when he was high level, Elric killed Ariok, right? <laughs> Just took him out. Yeah. Well, you know, there was Fawford and the Grey Mauser and, that, and Death, although I suppose you could argue that was more of an avatar than the god itself, but still... Well, it's not it's not the quote-unquote appendix in genre, but you could also take it as um, the way Piers Anthony did with the incarnations of immortality. And, you know, mm. they're not exactly gods, and there's turnover. <laughs> um, sort but, of, yeah, you kill them, and, and then you become. And then you become them. <laughs> yeah. And you're not aware of it, but this is actually your interview for the job. (laughs) (laughs) And now your character belongs to me, Snatch. (laughs) So I guess it really depends on how you're wanting to run it in in the game that you're you're running. And like Keith said, options are always good, so... Yeah. I don't know about... Like later versions of classic D and D that Menser versions sort of skated around us. All I can think of right now is a D and D where, on the prime material plane anyway, you could kill the god all you want. You didn't really kill him. It's kind of like uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics. You might have killed this aspect of him, but he's coming back. Yeah, at most, killing a demon or demon prince or something. They just couldn't manifest for like a century or something, and that was really all that did. It inconvenienced them. Anyway, thanks for the email, Keith. Yeah. Our next email is from DM Librarian Lopez. I love that name. That is pretty cool. (laughs) Although, librarian, I keep picturing the librarians from Warhammer, which are not not just guys keeping books. They're they're pretty nasty. No, that's not the kind of librarian I'm picturing, but mine isn't safe for family podcasts. But I'm ching. Ow. So anyway. Well, just to round things out, I'm kind of thinking of the librarians from the TV show, so. <laughs> that sounded extra dirty. I just met a librarian who's got, like, you know, a wall in her apartment that revolves, and there's, like, a motorcycle in the Batgirl costume. <laughs> <laughs>
That kind of thing. <laughs> ah, the bar- Barbara Gordon thing. <laughs> Juice it the librarian was. you like best. Oh, poor it librarian Lopez. Way. Back to her email. <laughs> and librarian Lopez writes, <laughs> Dear Save or Dice, hmm. how do you all roll a D20? I use the old 20-sided, marked 0 through 9, with a D6 to determine whether it's 1 through 10 or 11 through 20. Woohoo! Judges but Guild in- style. What interesting rolling conventions do you use? I started with Holmes in 79 and quickly moved on to AD&D along with Boot Hill, Gamma World, Top Secret, and Traveler. So I've been enjoying both your regular show for a few years, as well as the recent Save for Half episodes. Hoops is from Hop, i.e. Rabbit Locomotion. Keep the natural 20s coming. DM Librarian Lopez. P.S. No self-respecting hobbit calls herself a halfling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for that. Um, I do the judge, or I would do the judges' guild rolling, but my DM won't let me. I'm not sure why, because statistically it shouldn't be much different. But Chase is mean, so there you go. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa! Back that train up. So Chase, Dick, you know, has rules about how you're allowed to roll hits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he will not let me roll the D10 and the D6. Oh, well, a D10, of course. I mean, you need a, you need a D20 marked 1 to 0 twice. He wouldn't <laughs> let me do that either. It's got to be just the D20 with all the markings. It's because it's I give him so much crap about tracking proficiencies, probably. <laughs> maybe, it sounds to me, maybe you need to roll that D10 upside his head. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but then who do I get to run games? Oh, I, don't, ah, I don't have a lot of choice. Yeah, I, see, I have no interesting rolling conventions. I just roll dice. Roll the dice. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no good stories. I do exactly yeah, I, what Librarian Lopez does, except uh, only when all my regular D20s are screwing me. I, I still have my Homes and Game World dice, and when I'm desperate, I'll break those bad boys out and roll the D20 and the D6. Never fails to cause a problem with one of the 20-somethings who thinks I'm rolling my damage at the same time, which they love to do. Mm. (laughs) Well, thinking about it, there have been many times when I've needed 2 through 12, and instead of rolling 2d6, I'd roll a d12 instead, even though I know it screws up the bell curve, but I just love my d12, and I think d12s need to be used a lot more. Here, here. Well, they're not well, just for two-handed swords and barbarian hit points. I wonder if that's why Chase doesn't want you rolling the d6 and the 0 through 9 d20 because his brother Preston will roll damage simultaneously with the d20 and I wonder if that confuses Chase and he thinks you're rolling damage and it's like no I'm not this is for the, the roll. Maybe. So I don't know. Well, perhaps once he's listened to this episode, and of course he will. <laughs> of course he will, yes. He, yes, he'll he'll let me go back to the Judges Guild style. But anyway. I, I fact, have uh, total, total respect for Chase as a DM until you shared that. Now there's a chink. Little chink in the armor. 
Well, he still married Mead, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. I do wish that she'd get off her night shift at work and be able to come back to gaming with us. Yeah. Though. Yeah. The perils of nursing. But thanks, DM Librarian, for the questions and the info. And kudos for another Holmes Starter Holmes fan, as well as the other games. Those were exactly the games I played growing up. Yeah, I well, I didn't have I never had Boot Hill, but I did have Gamma World and Top Secret, and I didn't have Traveler, but I had Star Frontiers. So I had all those. The only other one I would add that we played regularly was Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> So, and we need to do another save for a half episode. Yes, so, we do. Speaking of, tra- speaking of Traveler. One of these days. Yeah. yeah, after I talked you into doing Game World in front of Traveler, then we didn't do another one. We need to do Traveler. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, let, another email. All right. Our last email is The last from, one. The last one, yes. From DM Corbett from the Gagman Podcast. Who's he? Lieutenant yeah, Victory! <laughs> yes, and he is writing in response to when we were wondering how he made those incredibly cool bracers in his Lieutenant Victory costume at North Texas. And he writes, the bracers for Lieutenant Victory were made out of craft foam. You could make them out of just about any craft foam or EVA foam and then paint to look metallic. I've seen people use yoga mats and make entire armored suits, but that mostly seems to be like a sweat-off about 50 pounds an hour. (laughs) I've included a link, but you can just hit up YouTube looking for cosplay ideas. Warning, using YouTube could result in serious time displacement, with hours of your life lost to epic fail and cat videos. True dad. Yeah. Um, we'll post the link that Corbett included in our show notes. But he has included a link. He really has. <laughs> we'll post the link. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Corbett. And thanks for answering Jim's question. And see now, Jim, you could make some yourself and become a sexual Tyrannosaurus, just <sighs> like Lieutenant Victory. That costume of his <laughs> was nice. I mean, with the bracers, he almost looked like if he sh- said the word Shazam, there'd be a lightning bolt. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty awesome. And that really cool calligraphy sort of giant V on the, the chest of the jacket and everything. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I statted up Lieutenant Victory in the Rule Britannia supplement for Victorious that came out. He's one of the NPCs you can find. Ma. So. <laughs> Alrighty. And that's our emails. Okay. We're done. Well, Well, we're done with emails. We're done with email, yeah. Well, any last words before we head to our commercial break? I love those emails where they're like, I remember one of you saying, and you know, I don't even remember what I said the first time we recorded this segment before (laughs) we lost it. (laughs) And the emails from like four episodes ago. God knows what I said. (laughs) All I have to say is a quick shout out to Jake. Travis's cousin from down in Tyler, whom we almost got a chance to game with. I was down in Tyler for a faculty meeting, and our friend Chris Walker got together a game out uh, in the boonies, so we traveled out to the 
far side of the tri- the countryside outside Tyler and walked in and said hi to Travis, hi to Chris, and then this new guy. And first thing he says is, you're DM Mike and Liz. And uh, we're like, what? Oh, <laughs> you got recognized okay. by your voices? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast. It's like, wow, cool. But he wasn't going to play with us. He was going to go play Battletech. Aw. Well, he hung out for quite some time. So either his Battletech game started really, really late, or he just kind of waited before leaving. <laughs> he just wanted to bathe in the star power. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I was sitting out there grumping at Chris about his character generation rules. Yeah, I know. Me grump. It's amazing. Yeah, wild concept. Should have recorded it. <laughs> but anyway, hi, Jake. Hi, Jake. And we're always amazed when we go places and people say they listen to the show. <laughs> That's a true thing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was I mean, somebody listening. You're the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just downloads I mean, a few thousand It's one times. thing to, to have people at gaming conventions say they listen to your show. Because you kind of, sort of expect that to an extent, but when you're not at a game store or a convention, or you're just somewhere, and out of the blue somebody says, hey, I know you, and it's like, what? Oh. It's just weird. <laughs> Thanks again for giving us the shout out, Jake, and we'll head on into our commercial break, then to Game On with Tom Dulles. Oh, hi. What are you planning for tonight? I thought we'd play a little Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I haven't played that in years. You used to love that game, Mary. What happened? I still do. I just don't like going into those game shops anymore. That doesn't sound like you, Mary. Please don't tell anyone. But going into those game shops to buy my D&D supplies, the staff are so unhelpful. And the magic players are staring at me. And the shop smells so gamey. Introducing AD&D RP. We have been helping those with game shop anxiety get their role-playing supplies since 1977. At AD&D RP, we will give you the personal care you deserve. At AD&D RP, you are more than a client to us. You are a campaign member in need of healing and rest. Call within the next 20 minutes and you'll receive this attractive Game Master screen as a gift from us, just for calling. Your satisfaction is completely guaranteed and our discreet home delivery is always free. Be sure to ask about our large print player's handbooks and oversized easy-to-read dice. Are you ready for the campaign? I have a plus five initiative thanks to AD&D RP. And now, back to Dungeons and Dragons. What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. Game on! Game on! Game on! One time we've done that in like a year and a half. 
and that's when everything screwed up. Now we had to drag uh-huh. you back home. Yeah, and I'm I'm getting a free beer out of this, right? <laughs> sure. Oh, sure, sure. Sweet. <laughs> I mean, we it's... choose the beer, right? <laughs> oh hell no. Milwaukee's <laughs> <laughs> no, best. Oh, 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 only one will do. Spotted cow. <laughs> ah. Game on, and here we are, joined by the fat dragon himself, Tom Tullis. <sighs> we do have your last name pronounced right, right? Yes, yes, okay. you do. We, we, we need to awesome. ch- we check on that before we started recording, but there you go. <laughs> Why break tradition? Yeah, <laughs> well, friend of the show, glad you could make it on, and uh, we'd just Thank love to talk about your stuff for a while. Great. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll start things off with um, Mike and I, for years, before we even before we started doing the podcast, I think, um, we'd been picking up paper terrain from various different places on the internet, um, all different kinds of genres, whether it's horror, modern, whatever, up until seeing the Fat Dragon um, products, we had never come across anything that actually incorporated layers that you could turn on and off in order to customize what you had and kind of make it your own. So I guess my question for you is, was this something that Fat Dragon pioneered or am I just not terribly paper terrain savvy and it's like oh yeah other people did that you know as far as i'm aware you're the first i saw doing it yeah we were um we first introduced it on 2d tile sets and that was back uh actually it was one of our first releases back uh, in 2005 and we got such a great response to that that we started incorporating it into our 3d model sets um but we just we always had so many requests from people for kind of oddball things that weren't mainstream or wouldn't appeal to the majority of our customers, like blood stains, you know, on the floors <laughs> or walls, or we want a pile of bones in the corner, or whatever. It wouldn't make sense to put it in the general release set, but by adding it as an optional graphic layer and then stacking these things in there, we gave uh, the consumer the ability to customize these models before they printed and built them and you know one person may want blood or slime on the walls or one person may want to add a drain to the middle of the floor or whatever or change the door texture from a wood to a metal door or something but we could incorporate all of these optional features into these sets and really give people a lot more mileage for their money with them yeah i mean it looking at it you know, it just seems like such an obvious thing that you would want to do. But before I saw you guys do it, it honestly never occurred to me. Well, it wasn't something – I think one of the things that kind of kept it from really being tried before was most people that do this type of terrain produce it or doing it in Photoshop. And Photoshop will not let you export layers into a PDF. So we had to find a workaround for this and – what we ended up doing was exporting um, individual components out of Photoshop and recombining them in a page layout program. Uh, the early ones were done in Quark, and then we switched over to InDesign and then recompiled everything in that, which would then allow us to export a layered PDF to take advantage of the Adobe Acrobat layers um, menu. Mm-hmm. So it was just finding that wor- that 
right workaround to incorporate all the features we wanted to be able to put that product out. I love the whole Steve Jobs iTunes approach with all the customization options that any uh, consumer buyer could want and no DRM. You know, the whole the whole thesis of if you do a good product and give the customer all the options for a good price point, they'll buy it because basically people don't want to steal stuff. Yeah, by and large, people, if they, if they like, if you build a good community of customers, they will support you. And DRM does not stop anybody that's really hell-bent on pirating. They will find a way around it. All you're doing is upsetting your you know, core customer base that are going to buy it anyways. You're making it more of a hassle to use the product, and that's the last thing we wanted to do. So uh, all the PDF uh, terrain sets we put out, there's no DRM on them. The PDFs themselves are not locked. Uh, we have a lot of customers that enjoy that because they will go in and actually extract different layers out of the PDF and then create something new out of it. And it, it, it like I said, if it, the piracy thing really is kind of a side issue. Um, if the music industry and movie industry can't stop it, you know, Fat Dragon Games is not going to be able to stop it. So we, we don't want to... Uh, hinder our loyal customers with this stuff it's not going to do any good and you know as, lo as long as we have a big enough core of people that will support us and buy from us then you know it really doesn't make a difference who's pirating it's a sophisticated approach though that much larger megacorps sometimes struggle with and you and you you're doing it dead nuts right well you know it, it, if people one of the things I'd read a um, I think it was Harvard University had done a study about three or four years ago on pirating in the music industry. And what they found was like 90% of the people pirating stuff would never have bought it in the first place. They just are grabbing it because it's free. Mm -hmm. So of all the people that are pirating our files, most of them would never have, you know, if it wasn't available to pirate on a torrent site, they're not going to buy it from me anyways. They're grabbing it because it's free. So we're, you really cannot view those as lost sales. Uh, Right, right, right. They were, they and never going to be a sale in the first place. And trying so. to protect yourself from that imaginary lost sale that's not even really there, you're just uh, making things harder for your main customers, exactly as exactly. you said. And like Jim said, you know, most people, it's been proven again and again, whether it's video or music or whatever, if you're selling a good product at a reasonable price, most people will happily buy it. And the funny thing is we've actually had – a lot of customers over the years, over the last 12 years, come forward and tell me they found us through piracy. They got it from a buddy or downloaded from a site, and they liked it so much they wanted to become a paying customer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and the other thing we've done to kind of mitigate uh, the attractiveness of pirating our stuff is we will occasionally go back with sets and update them or add another free component to it or, you know, something that if you've bought it legally you can go in you get the update for free you know you go back into drive through rpg or rpg now and you get a little notification that this particular uh terrain set has received an update so we do that just randomly every few months we'll update something and what it does is it keeps people wanting to buy the sets legitimate legitimately because if you pirate it you will not get those free updates mm. nice I also like, you know, what you were saying before about how, you know, people who bought the sets will do their own tweaks and then share them with the community. That that makes a really vibrant, you know, base 
you know, where people are sharing ideas and talking to each other, and it's just really awesome. And it's worked really well for us. We've done this, you know, for almost the entire 12 years we've been in business that people can modify the sets, they can share them, and the only conditions we have on that is it has to be for free, you can't charge anything, and it, and the download link must be on our forums. You can point to it from wherever you want, but you can't post it elsewhere for download. And that creates this really nice core community of the modders and we'll have people come on and say, hey, I've got a game on Saturday night. I really need this mod done to something. And a day or two later, somebody will have come on and posted that modification for them. And we've extended that to the 3D printing files now. People are modifying those in Blender or AutoCAD or something and posting those on our site. And it, again, even with that, we don't charge any fees for it. We, you know, The only conditions are they can't charge for it and they can only list it on our page. Speaking of getting stuff ready for games, uh, what does Fat Dragon offer the classic D&Der? Something like pig-faced orcs, perhaps? Yes. It's like you. Um, it's like you've been to the website, Mike. It's like um, when we started out, we started with paper train, three-dimensional paper train, and back in 2015, last year, we started making the shift over to offering STL files, which are for 3D printers for people to print off at home. And when we started shifting the terrain line over to 3D printers, uh, we just decided that was also a very opportune time to get into 3D uh, miniatures for 3D printers. So the first release uh, that we did were old school 3D or, or 3D or uh, pig-faced orcs. Uh, we also have uh, old school lizard men available. We have ogres coming out. Um, we also have uh, uh, dog-faced kobolds coming out and uh, a few other things. Yes. But we're, we're looking at the original AD&D Monster Manual for a lot of the things we're looking at doing over the next two years for that line. So hobgoblins with samurai helmets? Hobgoblins, yes. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take the samurai armor under consideration. <laughs> wow, okay. You and your samurai hobgoblins. Hey, that's the first time I ever saw a samurai helmet was in the Monster Manual, looking at those. Like I was telling Liz, you know, odds are they were drawn that way because I have this feeling they were drawn that way because Gary maybe had a bunch of samurai figures that he just painted with green faces and called them hobgoblins, so it just stuck in everybody's head. I don't know that, but it would be a great story if it was. <laughs> it should just be the story from now on because it sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, this seems plausible. <laughs> Let's go with it. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, you still. know, you know why that's perfectly plausible? They had a display at this past GaryCon of some of Dave Sutherland's uh, possessions from his art studio, and they had the actual little dinosaurs converted to dragons that they really played mm -hmm. with back in the day, and that's exactly where the red dragon on Holmes Basic and the Monster Manual came from. You recognize it <laughs> when you walk up on it and go, yep. hey, wait, that's the dragon. Were they for I, sale or just display? No, no, it was no, a display. Was for display. But okay. I was surprised there was actually greens there that he had done. Oh, yeah, they were not nice. Just, not just cast minis, but they actually had some of the greens that he had sculpted. Yeah, he was doing conversions when we were all still in gamer, gamer diapers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got my puppy kobolds coming. That's, that's all I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, th those are a definite. Those are on the production schedule. And pig-faced orcs. If that's all I get, I can live with it. Yeah. And those are already out. We came out with those about six months ago. Okay. So, yeah. We're doing a 
and we are doing a second batch of batch of those. We had a. Um, I was actually kind of surprised at the uh, uh, sales numbers on those in the first six months they were out. So we've ordered a second uh, release for those. Well, I know in England, was it Otherworld Miniatures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that does a lot of the old school stuff? But because they're in England, they tend to be pricier. And and don't yeah. get and don't get C and Ds in England apparently too. Well, yeah, there's that. Well, <laughs> Dragon's Foot's in England, so that's helped a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's the other nice thing with the um, 3D printing. Uh, a standard, you know, 25 to 28 millimeter miniature runs about four to five cents in plastic to print out at home. Wow. Uh, a typical dungeon, two inch by two inch dungeon wall and tile runs about 35 cents. So, Speaking of of um, scales, people people obsessed with. Speaking of people obsessed with true 25 millimeter scale, Mike. <laughs> As a grog nerd, I have a question, and keep in mind, I know virtually nothing about 3D printing or anything like that, so I could be totally ignorant, but one of the things that has bugged me about modern miniatures is their 28 to 30 millimeter scale, whereas back in the day, you had 25 mil was a 25 mil. Except Ralpartha, which sometimes could be even a hair smaller. And that's fine for monsters. But if you buy, you know, character figures today, they're noticeably bigger than my old minis from back in the day. So my question is, if I got, say, a file from Fat Dragon Games for some character minis, are they set in stone at 28 mil, or can you fiddle with it to make them a little bit smaller? <laughs> that is another great thing about 3D printing is it operates just like printing a PDF on a 2D laser printer. You input a scale before you print it out. Sweet. Um, you can take that you know, 28 millimeter miniature and scale it down a few percent, and it'll be 25. Uh, we have people who play Heroclix, and they're taking our... You know, one inch scale grid train and blowing it up 150%. So now the base grid is, you know, 1.5 inches for those figures. But yeah, it operates just like a 2D printer. You can input a scale just, you know, before hitting the print button. Sweet. Because I also do some modern 20 mil uh, zombie games. And do you do any modern terrain or is it just fantasy? Uh, for the 3D printer, we will be doing modern. Um, it's not out yet, but we do have it planned for 2017. Uh, okay. I do a lot of 15 millimeter wargaming, so mm-hmm. uh, we have a, uh, a new game that Jim Ward just wrote for us called World War Tesla, which is a 15 millimeter uh, alternate history kind of a steampunk alternate history World War One war game. So we're going to have a lot of 20th century type terrain for that, and it goes back to your question you just asked. We'll be putting it out scaled for 28 millimeter, but then we'll have scaling instructions for people that want to run it at 15 millimeter or 20 millimeter or whatever. We'll just tell you what percentage to input before you hit the print button. That is it's, awesome, Saws. It's I a it's I, a <laughs> it's a brave new world, Mike. Uh, I had to do uh, trophies for the Mutant Crawl Classics tournament, and I spent over a month banging around the web trying to find some kind of post-apocalyptic resin or pewter statues I could use when suddenly I grew a brain and remembered that I had access to 3D printing technology and literally got little 20-millimeter mutant uh, 3D files and blew them up six inches high to be the trophy toppers and printed them out. 
Awesome. Well, Tom, wow. I think you just found a new customer for your minis. You <laughs> now bet. that Mike knows, we can do them in 25 mil. <laughs> and 20 mil for moderns. That's mm-hmm. that's awesome. Uh, now we just will have to buy a 3D printer, Liz. Well, I or knew, keep I bugging it. Chase to print everything out, which you know how that's going to work. Well, Mead doesn't like the sound the printer makes. His so. wife hates the sound of it, so he can only print stuff when she's not home, and that's not often. So, so we may have to get our own. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be terrible. Yeah, our cat probably won't care for the sound the printer makes either, but she'll live. Actually, my dog loves it. Um, <laughs> we recommend that you print in uh, a type of plastic called PLA because it's non-toxic. Uh there's another thing of plastic. Toys. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about PLA is it stands for polylactic acid, and it's made from corn syrup. So if you get it too hot or it chars a little bit, it smells kind of like a mix between popcorn and maple syrup. So it drives my dog nuts. She will camp out all this <laughs> yeah. when it's running and just be drooling the whole time. <laughs> all that and tasty, too. <laughs> Edible miniatures. <laughs> That's a new line right there. <laughs> I think I think that there could be money in that, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lawsuit from the Attack on Titan people then. But <laughs> oh well, yeah. So when did you get started gaming as a just a plain old gamer? Uh, that would have been in the uh, late or yeah, about 1979, 1980. Uh, started playing as a kid. Uh, in fact, the my first gaming group i'm still playing with four of the guys uh been gaming for you know close to 35 years now and uh oh, that is so lucky so that is awesome yeah wow started out with a mix of uh white box and ad and d just kind of you know thrown together i think you know the original campaign started as white box and then we added the monster manual to it and it just kind of was a hodgepodge and just kind of grew into an AD&D game over the years. But, um, but yeah, we're still together. And uh, we've got members of the group as far as Texas and Atlanta going to come in this December back up to Ohio for a big game weekend, all of us. And uh, we've all stayed cool. in touch. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, your typical, you know, D&D story. I mean, it's, you know, the game and, you know, I... I New, you know, Gary Gygax was very instrumental in helping me get, you know, Fat Dragon off the ground, and I'm um, still keep in touch quite regularly with Luke, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's always amazed me what one man's creation could do as far as the number of relationships that were formed and friendships that were formed because of his creation, and yeah. you know, there, there's a group of us that 35 years now, we would have never come together uh, if it wasn't for D&D, and, you know, these are still my best friends after all these years. Yeah, it's it's easy nowadays to get lost in the edition wars that it's hard to remember that back, like you were saying, from late 70s, early 80s, it was just D&D. We would pull from any, you know, class, basic, expert, homes, white box, hardbacks, you know, it's just whatever you... Yeah, there really wasn't a distinction, um, or at not least on not the gamer us. level. Yeah, no, not on- uh, we just bought stuff. You know, we, I, I remember buying Castle Amber, which you know was a, I believe, an expert set module, and we were running it with our homebrew OD and D, AD and D game, and it just, it was D and D. There wasn't any yeah. 
you know, categorization of, well, this is only white box rules, or this was strictly AD&D rules, or whatever. It just, everything was Dungeons and Dragons, and that was it. Yeah, well, like I've said on the show a lot of times, I don't know anybody that hasn't, at one time or another, run Keep on the Borderlands in AD&D. It just, you know, and it never, it's not going to break. It doesn't violate any rule, you know, it's everybody's has a good time, or at least they certainly did back in the day, so it's nice to remind ourselves of that every now and then. Well, but that that was also back before everybody, or not, I won't say everybody, but before you had a larger focus on this idea of exact perfect balance in the games. Yeah. I think that has sucked a lot of the fun out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy. I, I still, you know, I love being able to you know, send guys into a room that they can't possibly beat and they know it and they have to run. It's not that the party's balanced and they can beat everything on a certain level of the game. Uh, there is going to be stuff that you can't beat and you're just going to have to turn tail and run. Yep. No one to hold them. No <laughs> one to fold them. No one to play Kenny Rogers and no one to run. No one to be Chinese. But anyway. Well, uh, speaking of Todd Bunn, he was just telling me the, a story today, uh, Tom, about he's running a bunch of them through Caverns of Thracia because Goodman just uh, reprinted that. And he's got like half the table is into it. And he's got a little section of, uh, you know, guys that uh, regularly played a different flavor. And they're cheesed off. <laughs> and how just play, you know, because they, they walk in a room and there's a lich and they're all fourth level. And, and it's like, you know, it's the way it was, though. Yeah. Or, yeah, but, you know, we, we didn't infamous... worry about that stuff. We just sat down and had a good time and closed the door. Stuff. Run the other way. You're good. The infamous <laughs> tower outside Tudgel Manor. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we'll clear that. That's the easy one. <laughs> yeah. Tell that to the 20th level lich up there. Spoiler hey, alert. Hey, we all figured if we could clear the tower, that would be our base of operations for when we tackled the large mansion. Tactically, that made sense, not mm. knowing that there was a lich. <laughs> yes. Ah, well. But anyway, that does remind me of another question. How compatible is Fat Dragon Games... Uh, 3D printed terrain with, say, commercial other commercial available terrain like Dwarven Forge, that sort of stuff. Um, pretty compatible. I mean, it's all based off of a one-inch square grid. So, I mean, the tiles are two by two, and mm -hmm. our wall height is two inches, which I believe theirs are. Um, our walls, I think, are thicker, and our I know for a fact our floors are thinner. Um, even with the clipping design, it's thinner. And Still, you could put cardboard underneath it or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it looks fine together. It's a few millimeters off, but it's nothing, you know, terribly noticeable or anything. We have lots of people that use them uh, together. And uh, What I've seen from a lot of our customer builds on our forums where they've posted pictures is they'll use, say, Dwarven Forge for the base level because it doesn't lock together. They can do that for a ground level. But since ours lock together, they can build all of the stacking levels because you can build a whole level of a dungeon with the uh, dragon lock and it'll just lift off as one solid piece so it, it's a very easy way to make the two ah, systems work together that's, that's you pretty build cool tire lower level out of the dwarven forge and then you lock your dragon lock together to make your upper levels and stack them i don't know what your plans are for modern but that would be awesome for multi-floor buildings in a modern setting yeah 
Uh, if you check out our Kickstarter that launches on September 6th, we actually have uh, – they're not modern, but it's a, a fantasy village set, and that's what we're doing. It's stackable levels. You can design buildings of any floor plan and stack them as high as you want. So you can have like a two-floor tavern with common rooms and that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Well, give us all the dirt on the Kickstarter because this episode uh, we're recording on the 28th. It might not even be out by the 6th. Oh, excellent. Um, last year, we did our first Dragonlock Kickstarter, which is all dungeons and caverns, and that was the 3D printer train that you, know, you could lock together with the small clips. Um, since then, our most requested subject has been a fantasy village using the same technique uh, where floors and walls and everything will interlock and people could design their own floor plans. Um, so we're doing a whole village that you'll get cobblestone streets. Uh, we have a uh, timber frame and stucco building set. We have a uh, fieldstone building set and a uh, wood wooden building set. Um, it'll also have uh, furniture packs in it. Uh, it has a windmill, uh, sewers, things like that. Just you'll be able to do a complete city set. That is awesome. Darn cool. Um, how do, or I mean, will there be the same sort of customization capabilities in the Dragonlock lines as people have been able to get in the uh, Paper Terrain sets, as far as, you know, plugging stuff in before they start to print? Well, uh, unfortunately, with uh, an STL file, you have to have it all locked in. So mm -hmm. when we give a model... That's what it is. Unless you um, now, we don't lock them down with a DRM. People can take the model, import it into something like Blender, which is a free uh, download, and they can modify it if they learn that software. But uh -huh. as far as giving them options for it, it's not digitally selectable. What we do is we give you multiple versions of the model. Um, so, like in the uh, dungeon item set, there is. Uh, you know, coffins that come with open lids and closed lids. We have a, a dungeon fountain, and it has one insert for the water where the water is spraying out of the little goblin face on the stone wall. You can pull that out and put a, a water elemental piece in. Oh. So we do have swappable parts that allow you to customize. Um, we have a wall that has a little secret... Um, uh, stone in it that pulls out like a plug and then you can insert different traps you know we have a saw trap a fire trap gas cloud trap and things like that so we're on the paper train you could actually go through a checklist and select graphics that you wanted added to it before hitting the print button uh, with these it's simply different versions of the same model you know okay. we'll come up with three or four or five things you know what would people want to vary this and then we'll modify the model accordingly and then give you those five options included in the set i'm going to guess there's not as large a percentage of your target audience who knows their way around autocad or solidworks to get in there and actually manipulate the 3d files there that there isn't but it actually shocked me how many people in the last year have contacted me that are downloading stuff like blender just so they can learn to modify these files and one of the things we do is um we allow people, if they go in and modify a file, as long as it's not too similar to the original, we allow them to put them up on our forums uh, 
as long as they're putting it up for free, they can't charge for it or anything. But that way, users, the the customers that do this, can share these files, and we let them do it. We don't charge anything for it. Um, you know, if somebody takes our dungeon wall and puts a couple cracks on it. No, we don't let you do that because it eliminates the need to purchase the original wall. But if they go in and they add some ivy to it or some fungus growing on the side or put a skeleton and chains chained up, uh, we, le we let them do it. And it's really been interesting over the past 12 months to see all of the files that people have added, uh, little tweaks to and stuff to really customize these parts. Because one of the, kind of the mentality behind this is if one person wants it, there's probably a lot more. And we can't do everything. You know, Fat Dragon is not a huge company. We're growing, but you know, even after 12 years in business, you know, we, we can't get everything out to market immediately that everybody wants. So by allowing the customers to do these tweaks and changes, um, we're increasing the how attractive the sets are to new customers because there is such a wide range of free downloads to customize the paid sets. So under yeah. a different paradigm, you do allow the customization. It's just, and it's shared with people. It is. It is. It's just with the paper train, we were doing it for you. We were throwing in 10, 20 options uh, in a set, and that way people could just tweak it and really kind of make it their own thing. Um, with this, we're kind of relying on the customers to do that to some extent. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes a very friendly and, um, you know, open sort of community, which, you know, I think also helps to, to bind people together. It, it does, and we've been very fortunate in the last decade to really have a strong user community come together, and they'll share these files, or somebody will come on and say, hey, I've got a game this weekend, and I need this piece, and it's it always surprises me that a day or two later, somebody will pop on and say, here you go, I knocked this out last night for you, and just the, the, the list of you know both paper train and the 3D printer train, these little custom pieces people do is just astounding. Speaking of pieces and modifications, the uh, set you're going to do for World War Tesla, um, are you I obviously are going to do figures. Um, do you plan to do any type of vehicles or that sort of thing? Yeah, World War Tesla um, is written by Jim Ward, and mm. what it is, uh, it's an alternate history timeline where uh, Tesla's more wild ideas is death rays and force fields and anti-gravity machines and stuff all came to fruition. So it kind of changed the course of World War One. And um, if you've ever seen Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, that'll give you a good idea for <laughs> kind of the field Jim went for. So kind but of a yeah, pulpy. It is. It's a very pulpy, steampunky type uh, game. So you have on, on the internet. I saw pictures of tripods too. So. Look yes. like Marsh, Martian invasions. You have giant tripod, you know, mechs paired with you know, Fokker DR1 triplanes with death rays on them. Conventional <laughs> tanks. Uh, we just finished a miniature that's kind of uh, modeled after the uh, uh, the Nazi German Bell experiment. You know, people said it was a time machine of sorts from World War II. These drawings they found. Um, we're oh, going so after it's awesome looking thing. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's just this whole wide range of designs, and it goes from anything from, say, taking a conventional World War One tank and adding a death ray on top all the way to these flying saucer-type designs. And it's uh, uh, just a really eclectic range of miniatures that we've done for this. But, yeah, we'll have conventional figures, uh, vehicles. Uh, we'll have buildings and train like that, trenches, um, 
and again, this would go kind of uh, uh, getting you know, killing two birds with one stone with this set because we can do a lot of uh, terrain for it, like the trenches and the farmhouses and things like that that will then be usable with games like uh, Bolt Action or uh, Flames of War or anything like that too because it's the same time period and you can scale it. Even though our game is 15mm you could scale the trenches up uh, to work with Bolt Action in 28mm just fine, just with a click of the button. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I just had a quick question about the actual 3D sculpting, which is happening in a computer program. Do you do you work the uh, source sculptures at a larger scale and then shrink them down, or do you do actually create the files that's intended size? Uh, actually, that's. Uh, or is, is that a do... trade secret? I just <laughs> no, no, it's not a trade secret. What we're doing is we're kind of trying we're trying to be as forward looking as possible on this. Uh, we create a large file with far more detail than is going to be possible to be printed under convention with a conventional printer but the idea is that with having the additional detail in it five ten years from now as printers continue to improve and resolutions get finer Uh. your models don't become obsolete because that's one of the things we're doing to differentiate ourselves from other manufacturers of 3d stl files is they're putting they're focusing on file the actual file size and where a file they might put out for an object would only be one or two megabytes, we're putting something out that is in the range of 20 or 30 megabytes simply because we're giving you a lot more detail than is possible to be printed right now. But 10 years from now, the file you buy from us is still going to be able to take advantage of newer printer technology and you print it then, you're gonna see details you never saw today. So we're, you know, I guess that's a very long-winded way of answering your question. Yes, we sculpt bigger and more detail than what's required, and then we sh- we just set it to a specific scale, which you can then change um, before you print. But yeah, we do much bigger and a lot more detail. Dude, that's so smart. I feel like we're interviewing a, a nicer version of Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess then if we're all questioned out, we'll start wrapping up. Well, and as there- usual... Well, I mean, before we do, I just want to make sure, Tom, is there anything else that you want to mention about either the Kickstarter or World War Tesla that you haven't been able to get off your chest yet? Um, I think the one thing I really want to make sure people understand is um, we found it, especially with going to Gen Con and Origins and things like that, a lot of people are interested in 3D printing. They're a little daunted by it because they don't understand the technology or don't know where to begin with it. And one of the things we're doing at Fat Dragon is myself and some of the other staff members is we, you know, I've made sure that uh, you know everybody's got a printer at home. We're familiar with the technology. We've got a very large knowledge base on our forums already. We have subsections for each of the major printers on the market. Uh, That way, customers can go in and post reviews or tips that they found for certain settings. And we are really trying to do everything we can for new customers uh, to select a printer that's right for you once you get it, help you get it set up and calibrated. It's a lot easier than most people think to do. And once they get it, they're really, you know, Everybody that has started with it that's been on our forums, it's uh, uh, almost become an addiction for them once you find out what you can do with these things. It's like having printing Christmas out every day. Um, but we have a lot of good information to get people started. If they're just 
you know, considering a printer, you know, please send us an email or a message on the forums or something. And, you know, we'll be happy to tell you what's out there in your price range and, you know, what we found, what printers we think are good investments and what yarn maybe not so much. And uh, once you do get it, we'll help you get running with it. Cool. That's okay. awesome to have a knowledge base like that for the for your customers. Like, yes, you, you won't print with a raft. No, you don't need supports on this one when you print it. I think it's essential with, you know, getting into this technology at this point, it's not widespread. It's uh, the, the Gartner reports that said they see consumer 3D printing. Uh, the inflection point is not for another couple years to around 2018 when it really takes off in a massive way across the board for consumers. So we're a little bit ahead of that curve, but part of that means we have to be, have a responsibility to make to help customers get on board with this technology and uh, make it as painless as possible for them. Okay, well that sounds like a good place to wrap up. And so we'll end our show as we always do with all of us walking down the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk dusty road at the end of the show. And how are we walking down the road this time, Liz? I am walking down the road, hanging out with some pig-faced dorks. <laughs> Woohoo! Oink oink. Jim. Uh, instead of looking for secret doors in the dungeon, since it's just made out of PLA, I'm using flaming hands to make my own secret entrance. And getting some rations on the side. And it smells like popcorn. <laughs> Tom, do you want to participate? Sure. I'm hunting for a bathroom because I very stupidly had two Cokes before we sat down. <laughs> Ruh -ruh. We've been there. <laughs> you don't want to wait for the 3D printer to turn out one of those. I think. <laughs> well, I'm heading down the road at a breakneck speed because I'm on my Martian tripod. <laughs> and we'll see everybody in episode 126. Thanks for coming on the show, Tom. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It was our pleasure. That's right. So, good night, everyone. Bye. See you. Free arc. And we're out. Tom, welcome to the show. All the professionalism you hear in the published podcast, this is the, the that that magic all happens in the audio editing. Now you have a peek behind the curtains. That's all Jim. <laughs> this is what we really sound like. Jim makes us sound cool. <clears throat> you now know the awful dark secret. <laughs> None of us really knows what we're doing. I go 60 in the